Luke chapter 22, verse 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from there about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. God's prized creation, mankind, who he had made in his own image, wants to do what seems right in its own eyes. God, who governs the universe, wants mankind to do what is right in his eyes. That's part of the purpose of the Holy Spirit indwelling those true children of God, to guide, convict, teach, empower, etc., instructing mankind to do the will of God. This is where the child of God now has a choice, obey God or not. And this is the battle of the flesh versus the spirit. When a child of God acts according to the will of God, they begin to draw closer to him and see his work in their lives more and more. Things that once may not have made sense now begin to become more clear. So their obedience to God now begins to separate them from the worldly philosophies that defy God's will. When I was a new believer, I had lived about 10 years as an adult, indulging in worldly philosophies. And as I began to learn about Jesus and watch those around me in our church live their lives, I began to have a change of heart toward my life. I watched people endure suffering, but go through it staying faithful to the Word and the Lord, knowing that if that was me, I would not have behaved like that. Something was different about these people, and it was good, and I wanted it. But going to church really didn't do anything for me until I acknowledged my wickedness and asked Jesus to fix me. That's when I began to learn that God had my life already mapped out, and all he was waiting for was me to surrender to him. And that took a while because I didn't want to surrender to him. I wanted my spiritual life, and then I wanted my normal life outside of church, where I was still a good guy in my opinion. I just wanted my own world where I could be who I feel I really am. No facade, rather the genuine me. What I soon learned is that that's not what it means to be a child of God. Proverbs 23, verse 26, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Galatians 5, 24, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So in my life, I now had a decision to make. It's either all or nothing. There is no middle ground for the child of God, even though so many churchgoers live like there is. This compromised life, which I have lived at times, it gets a person nowhere with Jesus. And it's an insult to him after he paid the price for my sin upon the cross, and then I just simply poo-poo that sacrifice and continue drinking the delicacies of the world. And I believe many believers experience this on and off throughout their lives. But the victory has a price, and that victory for believers comes when we begin to live our lives for our master as obedient slaves. And I think this is too harsh for some who want Jesus to bless them, but they don't want to surrender everything to him. These would say, not thy will be done, but my will. Breaking out of this can be really hard. And how do we, as spiritually flawed human beings, find the strength when we are so spiritually weak? 2 Corinthians 12, 9, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Notice whose power it is. It's God's power that is made perfect in weakness. It's not our power that we can conjure up by positive thinking. It's real power that comes from elsewhere. It's connected to God's love, which is a foreign love poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, Romans 5.5. 5. God's power is poured out into those who make room for it by setting aside their confidence in themselves or others or in other things like money, popularity, 
talent, etc., that provide them comfort, purpose, and identity. This power is available to anyone who will surrender their lives to the source of that power. That's Jesus. And what is remarkable about Jesus is this power is provable. It's not simply a religious concept. In Exodus, God introduces himself to Moses and tells Moses his plan to deliver the Israelite slaves out of the most powerful nation of that time, Egypt. Moses hears that God wants him to go into Egypt and deliver them and does what is natural. He freaks out and begins making up every excuse why he is not qualified to do this. But Moses would learn that God would deliver the Israelites not with Moses' skills as a politician, rather his own mighty hand and outstretched arm. And that lesson Moses and many others over the years have learned is the key to understanding that not only does God call the shots, he provides what is needed to do them. So if he is God and knows all things, then why would we not trust his will? Answer, lack of faith. Moses had no faith in himself to deliver the Israelites. He knew the Egyptians pretty well and knew their military machine was invincible. But Moses also didn't trust in God initially because he didn't know him at the time. But he would get to know him soon after his commission to liberate the Israelites. And God did exactly what he said he would do using Moses to make it happen. His will was done. So for us, realizing that God's will is the best course of action because he knows everything and not doing his will is really foolish on our part because we are not only doing what is not the best, but what are we saying about our faith in him? Uh, Yeah, God, um, I know you want me to do this, but uh, I think a better way is letting me handle it on my own. Now that may sound ridiculous to some, but isn't that exactly what we do when God's will irritates us? If God does something we really want to see happen, then it's no problem to comply with his will because we also want that thing. A person looking at missionary work gets an opportunity to go to a beautiful tropical island with amazing surfing as well as other cool things to do, and this really gets them excited. So they pray about it, and God says, yes. Then they praise God for all of his blessings, his goodness, his faithfulness. It's easy to do because God just gave them what they wanted. Now change the answer. The answer is no. And add to that, God wants them to go to a war-torn country with nothing but hardship. They have the confirmation, they have heard from God, and they understand this is His will. But is the reaction the same? What would your reaction be? I've been to many beautiful islands, including a recent trip to an island known for its beautiful beaches, tourism, and other things that are attractive to a lot of people. But I stayed in the city with a friend, and we ministered to the outskirts, where by our standards, things appeared to be impoverished. And he told me if I wanted to, I could return and stay at one of the resorts. And I said, no, rather, I want to be where God wants me. And hanging out on a beautiful beach awaiting a spa appointment isn't for me. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit in me, not my own humility, which I am reminded at times to work on. I've learned that God's will is always better, but not always easier. And many times it's frustrating. Why? Because our perspective is limited to the here and now. God understands things that happen now will have a certain effect on those things in time. So he is manipulating circumstances, continually setting up future events for his kingdom according to his will. So it's in our best interest to seek God's will, and when we learn what it is for a certain circumstance, to trust him and don't worry about the outcome, because the fruit of that task may not appear in our lifetime, but it will appear precisely when God wants it to. And it's our privilege to be a part of that work of God, even if we don't see the end result. So back to Moses. 
Moses had a great calling, but never reached the land promised to Israel because he blew a gasket at the wrong time. Isaiah was murdered by the king of Judah. Jeremiah was persecuted and imprisoned continually by his own people and saw the destruction of his beloved city, Jerusalem. And many more people in the scriptures, as well as those throughout history, met their end under circumstances that appear totally contrary to any blessing from God. But they knew something that ushered them right through death into eternity, where they will spend it with their king. They understood the words uttered by Jesus. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Thank you.